This message is brought to you by Moira Pentecostal Church. We hope that it will encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your walk with God. I want to go to the Word of God to the book of Acts, chapter 17. I want to read a few verses. Uh, from verse 16 and following. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers and the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods when he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing bringing some strange things to your ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, and I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they may grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being." As also some of your own prophets have said, for we also are his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Title of my message this morning is in fact a question. Why do I need God? Why do you need God? Why does anybody need God? If you are of reasonable intelligence, if you enjoy a fairly healthy life, if you are reasonably well off, if you're quite self-sufficient of sound mind and body, some would say, well, why would I need God? I've got everything I need. Why in the world would I need God? Well, let me this morning quickly give you three reasons why I need God and why you need God and why everybody needs God. First of all, I need God to make sense 
of this life. There has got to be a reason for this life. As human beings, we need to have a reason for our existence. We need purpose. We need meaning. All of this, whether we're prepared to admit it or not, in the back of our minds has got the why question. Why am I here? Why am I different from all other life forms on earth? What makes me unique? What is that distinct specialness that separates me from the animals? Because we are very distinctly different. A cow cannot compose a concerto. A dolphin cannot create a cathedral. A kangaroo can't count. A parrot can't write a poem. We are distinctly different. We are uniquely endowed with such fantastic capabilities. Why is that? Why is it us, of all of the life forms, why is it only us who can feel remorse or who can weep or who can rejoice or who can laugh? Why is that? Why is it only us who can analyze something? Why is that? Of course, there are many who would deny all of this. They say that life is utterly meaningless, that there is no grand design, that there is just no purpose in life at all, that we are simply a collection of molecules and atoms that somehow or other accidentally at some time or other came together and just so happened formed us. And we're to believe that, that that just happened by accident, that we're a, we're a cosmic accident, we're a universal fluke. Something out there sometime just happened that sparked all of this off, and here we are today, and we are supposed to believe that. Consider this for a moment. Consider a single chromosome. The information in a chromosome is incredible. If you were to put it into words, it would equal 500 million words. To simplify that for you, if you were to write a book and every page had 400 words on it, and the book had 230 pages. That's about the size of the book I hold in my hand here. You would need 5,400 such books with the information in just one single chromosome. A human fertilized egg has got 46 chromosomes. To hold all that information, you would need over a quarter of a million books like that in one single human fertilized egg. No wonder the Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And yet we are told that that just happened. It's just a fluke, an accident, that that incredible design and all that wonderful information just happened. Really? It takes a lot of faith to believe that that just happened. I believe that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You see, that doesn't really satisfy us. It doesn't really satisfy us. It really doesn't make sense 
of our existence. And even if it made the sense of the how we came about, it certainly doesn't make any sense of the why we're here. And we want to know the why we're here. John Blanchard, the author of that book I held in my hand, he said, it's a big jump from atoms to ethics, from molecules to morality, from corpuscles to conscience. It's a big jump, isn't it? Someone called conscience God's calling card. It's an inescapable reminder that we have a moral obligation to Almighty God. But if we're just animal, if we're just a jumped-up ape, as Richard Dawkins, the archpriest of atheism, says, if that's all we are, where does our sense of morality and ethics come from? Why do we have conscience? Why have we an inbuilt sense of right and wrong. How and when did that evolve? Is there an answer to that? No, they just say, it just happened. I dare to believe God put it there. I dare to believe that Almighty God in His wisdom made us the way we are with all of the wonder of the complexity that makes up a human life. That little baby that we have just dedicated is wonderfully complex and it's growing every day. And it will grow just not physically, it will grow mentally, it will grow emotionally. We're just not an animal, we're just not flesh and bone. There's something within us, spirit, that God puts within us that makes us unique and different. Without God... Life is no more meaning than a mayfly or a butterfly or a rat or a gnat. We're the only ones that know right or wrong, that can feel shame, that can blush. Otherwise, if we're just animal then we're just top of the evolutionary food chain. That's all we are. I read something. I'd like to read it to you. Hardline evolutionists who place humankind at the top of an evolutionary tree that has five million known species of living organisms lower down have another problem because many of these have some superior features. Fish can live permanently underwater and birds can fly without mechanical help. Man is easily outlived by the Aldabra giant tortoise and outrun by many animals, including a cheetah, which from a standing start can reach 45 miles an hour in two seconds. You see, and Bolt can't do that, sure he can't. The common housefly's eyes can move 10 times faster than a human's. The dolphin's hearing is vastly more accurate. Bats have built-in radar, which enable them to fly safely in the dark. A dog's sense of smell is to a man's what a symphony orchestra is to a tin whistle. Evolutionists commonly talk of animals being superior because of their greater brain size. But even this has to be qualified. An African elephant snoutfish has a brain weighing a lot more than a human's in relation to its body weight. While some monkeys have a brain twice the size as ours. Yet even with this fine-tuning, few would deny that there's a radical difference between themselves and other earthly life forms. What other life form can write poetry, laugh at jokes, design computer software, or solve crossword puzzles? The British writer Andrew Knowles is right. 
Here's what he said. He said, I am a mystery. I wake up in the morning, I find myself the sole occupant of a complex, sensitive, and extremely useful body. I'm also the proud owner of an intricate, imaginative, and highly resourceful brain. Everything about me is unique. My face, my fingerprints, my self. I'm alive. I develop. I grow. So does a vegetable. But I'm more than a vegetable. Vegetables don't fall in love or read a paper or go on holiday. I'm a body with a brain, an animal, but I'm more than an animal. Animals don't peer through telescopes or send birthday cards or play chess or cook. Knowles is right. There are many ways in which humanity's claim to uniqueness can be backed up. Here's what the Bible says in Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. Acts 17, 25. He gives life, sorry, he gives to all life and breath and all things. In Job 33, verse 4, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty has given me life. Psalm 100, verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and not we ourselves. Malachi 2, 10, have we not one Father? Has not one God created us? And so all the way through Scripture, we keep getting pointed back to the fact that Almighty God is the Creator. This is what Paul told those Athenians in the marketplace who were worshiping all these gods so-called. And he told them about the great God, the one and only God, the Creator of all things, including us today. So I need God to make sense of this life But I need God to make sense of the next life. It is impossible to believe in God and not believe in an afterlife. But why an afterlife? Why a life beyond this life? Why not simply oblivion? Why not just extension? Or simply nothing? When you die, you die, and that's it. There are millions, untold millions who believe when you die, you die, that's it. There's nothing beyond. Wouldn't that be easier, neater? No loose ends to tie up. No regrets, no what-ifs, what could-haves or should-haves or maybes. That's the humanist mindset. Live for right now because there's nothing beyond. You remember the parable in the Bible, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's the mindset. Live all you're going to live here, because after this, there's nothing. So you might as well live it up here and now, because there's nothing beyond this. But does that really make sense? Well, I mean, it follows logically, I suppose. If if you don't believe there's a purpose in this life, if if you believe this life is absolutely meaningless, which is what the new atheists are saying today, that it's meaningless, there's no purpose, then what would be the point of an afterlife? If there's no point to this life, what would be the point in the next life? But we believe there is meaning in this life, and we believe there is the next life. Does the notion that the grave ends at all, does it answer those nagging questions that comes when a child dies, or a young mother is taken, or the innocent suffer while the guilty go free? Does it answer the injustices, the unfairnesses in this life 
whenever we see millions starving in the third world, and yet in the Western world we have so much food, we're dumping it. What we dump is almost criminal when there are millions starving on the other side of the world. Is that fair? How do we reconcile poverty and prosperity? How do we do that? Seems to be something unfair about that, doesn't there? Is it fair that victims often are treated worse than the offenders? What kind of justice is there when Dennis Nielsen, the serial killer, demanded as a human rights to have pornography in his cell and he got it? Is that right, I ask you? Is that fair? Of course not. Well, justice and unfairness of the centuries, does it not cry out for an answer? Will the books ever be balanced? We demand justice in this life. What if we don't get it? There are wrongs to be righted. What if they're not? If there's no purpose in this life and no next life, then it doesn't really matter. Why protest? Why protest about unfairness and injustice? If there's no point to this life and there is no next life, why bother? Why protest? Better saving your breath. We're all going to die anyway. We'll all end up as fertilizer one day. If that's the attitude, that doesn't matter. But as Christians, as believers... We believe that it does matter. We believe that this life matters. And we believe that the next life even matters more. Okay, David, you've talked a lot about injustice and unfairness. Here's a question for you. If there is a God, if there is a God, why does he allow so much suffering? Do you know that's the number one question that most people ask? It's the number one question. Those who doubt there's a God, those who don't even doubt it, but they believe there is no God, will always come up with that question to those who believe in God. Well, if there is a God, you say there's a God, if there is a God, answer me this, why is there so much suffering? Why doesn't God do something about that? If He is a loving kind, compassionate, merciful, generous God, as you Christians say, why doesn't he do something about it? If he's all powerful, as you say, why doesn't he just stop it? Well, he mustn't be all powerful because he's not stopping it, or he mustn't be loving and kind, or he would stop it. Well, this world is not the world that once was, and it's not the world that is yet to be. This world once was a paradise. It once was a paradise for man to live in. And again, it will become a paradise in the future for man to live in. But it's the in-between times. And in between the first two chapters of Genesis, the last two chapters of Revelation, there is this malevolent, creature called the devil, Satan. And he introduced sin into this world. And Satan and sin has wrecked havoc with God's creation. And it will never be the same again until he is 
out of the picture. And one day he will be out of the picture because one day God will finally and utterly deal with him. He's already been tried. His sentence has already been passed. He just waits his execution. And that is coming for sure according to Revelation. And so at the moment... This is paradise lost, but one day it will be paradise found. But in between this particular time, this is when things are bad. This is when there's so much unfairness and injustice. All right, you say, okay, well then why doesn't God just step in right now and stop that? Why doesn't he stop the facts of sin and Satan? Why doesn't he do that right now? Okay, where will he start? What sin will he start with? What about murder? I think we could all agree on that one, couldn't we? I mean, that's right up there, probably right at the very top. If he would just stop all murder, that would be good, wouldn't it? What about the vulnerable? What about those in society that are being hurt? What about human trafficking? What about that? That would be well up there, wouldn't it? I mean, if he could stop that, that would be great too, wouldn't it? What about terrorism? What about these people who are roaming in the Middle East and cutting the heads of men, women, and children? That's pretty grim, isn't it? That's causing a great consternation in the world today. What if he would just stop that? What about abortion? How about he stop that? Oh, wait a minute. Wouldn't be all in agreement with that. Sure we wouldn't. There's millions who wouldn't be in agreement with that. Because that's my choice. This is my body. This is my choice. What about theft? Or greed? Or pride? What about that? What about all the laws that you and I have broken? God's laws. What if he starts with us first? What if he comes to us demanding justice for breaking his laws? What about my sins and your sins? What if he says, now, forget about all everybody else's. Let's start with you. Let's start with me. Let's begin there. What would you want him to do? Would you want his justice or would you want his mercy? He says, it's all right dealing with everybody else's sin. But what when it comes to ours? What about the things we do that offends Almighty God? What about that? Does he not care about that? Would you not want him to step in and stop that first? I don't think so. So it's easy accusing God, isn't it? It's easy making accusations and say, well, why didn't God do this and why doesn't God do that? Okay, let him start with us. Well, here's the good news. God has already judged Satan and he's already judged sin. He already judged sin on the cross through the death of his son. He's already judged Satan and I told you that his date for execution is set and will not be changed. But what about the sinner question? What about us. What about how we will receive or reject his son? That's the big question. That's the most important question. 
Whenever we stand before God, that's the only question there's going to be. What have you done with my son Jesus who went to the cross to die for you at Calvary? That's the big question. That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Anne Graham Lotz, who is Billy Graham's daughter, the time of the the 9-11 event in America where almost 3,000 people were killed in the Twin Towers and the Pentagon and all the rest of it. Uh, I think it was the next day or the day after she was called into early morning TV studio and she was interviewed. Interviewed by a girl called Jane Clayson. And Jane Clayson said, now Anne Lots is well known in America, she's known as Billy Graham's daughter. She's got a great ministry on her own, but she's known as Billy Graham's daughter. So the interviewer said, I've heard people say, those who are religious, those who are not, if God is good, how could God let this happen? To that, what do you say? See, that question is always going to be asked. Here's what Anne Great Lot said. I say God is also angry when he sees something like this. I would say also for several years now, Americans, and we could put British in here if we want it. Americans, in a sense, have shaken their fist at God and said, God, we want you out of our schools. We want you out of our government. We want you out of our business. We want you out of our marketplace. And God, who is a gentleman, has just quietly backed out of our national and political life and our public life, removing his hand of blessing and protection. We need to turn to God first of all and say, God, we're sorry we have treated you this way and we invite you now to come into our national life. We put our trust in you. We have our trust in God and our coins. We need to practice it. Isn't it strange that people who say they don't believe in God, when something goes wrong in the world, the first person they point to is God and blame him. Isn't that strange? Why is that? If they say life has no meaning... There's no purpose to this life. What does it matter? What does it matter that 3,000 people died in one day? What does that matter if life has no meaning? But it has meaning, and we know instinctively it has meaning. So I need God to make sense of this life. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. That will take care of all the injustices of life. Believe me, God will balance all the books. Revelation 21 and 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. That will take care of all the unfairness of life. What about righting all the wrongs? Let me just read you a couple of verses from the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. 
death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That will take care of all the wrongs. Sobering thought, isn't it? I need God to make sense of this life. I need God to make sense of the next life. But finally, I need God to make sense of my life. Personally, my life. What is my purpose? What is the reason that I'm here? What am I living for? What is the big picture? There is only one life that we can live. We've got to make sure that we're living it right. It must count not only for time, but it must count for eternity. Eternity is a long, long, long time. And if we make a mistake, it's a long time to regret it. I don't want to go into eternity only to discover that I missed the whole reason why I'm on earth in the first place. What a tragedy that would be. It would be too late. It would be forever too late. I need to know today. This is why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today. Because there could come a day when you will never, ever, ever, ever get another chance. It'll be gone for all eternity. In him, we live and we move and we have our being. You're not an accident. You're not just a collection of atoms and molecules that just happen to come into being sometime, somewhere. You're not stardust from the Big Bang. You know, the Big Bang is some theory, isn't it? I mean, here we are Sunday morning in this church while I'm speaking, if suddenly there was a big bang out there, like there was a few years ago when the bomb blew up the police station, suddenly there's a big bang, what would your first instinctive thought be? Would it not be what caused that big bang? Would it not be that? What caused that big bang? Was it a bomb? Was it an oil tanker blew up? Was it an airplane crashed? What caused it? But we are told that we're all the product of the Big Bang, but nothing caused it. <laughs> it just happened. So you can't question that. But we do question that. And so the answer is nothing. It just happened. It just, there was just a t- all the matter in the universe was squished and squashed into, condensed into a singularity, into one little speck. Where did the speck come from? One little speck, where did the matter come from? One little speck, and then suddenly something happened. And that little speck blew up, and it inflated at an alarming rate, and it's still inflating. We're asked to believe that, to take that as scientific fact, and to say we're deceived, to say we're nuts as believers, to say we're stupid for believing the Bible. Come on. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. I choose to believe that. 
rather than to believe a far-fetched idea that there was a big bang and we don't ask how it happened because nobody knows. They just say, it just happened. <laughs> well, we didn't just happen. God created us. That little child this morning is the creation of Almighty God. Yes, using human instrumentality, but still unique, special creation of Almighty God, as is each one of you today. And you're here for a purpose. And if you discover your purpose in life, you discover you're to know him and to serve him and to walk with him and talk with him, not just in time, but throughout all eternity, then you discover the real purpose in this life. And your life will never, ever, ever be the same. It will be changed forever and a day. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the creator today. I choose to believe that Almighty God is the creator of the ends of the earth. I choose to believe that Almighty God is my heavenly Father. I choose to believe that Jesus Christ, his son, went to that cross and died for my sins. I choose to believe today that I have received him and accepted him as my Lord and Savior, and he has saved me for time and for eternity. I have chosen that, and I thank you, Lord, that you give me the grace and the time, and you were merciful to allow me the time to do that. Lord, would you be graceful and merciful to give every person in here who doesn't know you the time to receive you. That they may know you as Lord and Savior. That they may find their true purpose in this life. And Lord, that they will go from here to eternity to spend with you forever. We give you thanks and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more messages like this one, visit us online at www.mpc.org.uk. You'll also find a selection of informative videos at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal.